0: That's a question today, isn't it? Is it well with your soul? I trust it is. We'll be asking that now and asking that at the end of the message as well. I want us to look just at a few verses from Hebrews as we begin this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, well known verses. You know these, some of you have no doubt memorized them at some point uh, during your lifetime. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This morning I want to start a short series of messages to take us through these summer months. And I was thinking about going back to some of the old stories, the stories of the uh, great people of God in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. It's so rich. Um, And the more I thought about it, the more I was drawn to the book of Hebrews. I said, Pastor, the Hebrews is not in the Old Testament. Yeah, you're right. However, there is so much in Hebrews that pertains to the Old Testament, particularly the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what Jesus did for us on the cross by offering His body and His blood so that our sins would be forgiven and our lives would be transformed from the inside out. And that we, as we take Jesus in to such an extent as it is no longer us who are living, but it is Christ who is living in us. And then last week we talked about what we needed to do with that forgiveness that Jesus offered us. We need to forgive others as Christ forgave us. We need to show the same grace to others as God showed us. And we know that we're saved because of God's grace, because of His mercy, And that it's not by works, but by faith. But what is that? (laughs) What in the world is faith? Faith tends to be this nebulous concept that gets a whole lot of stuff added into it. What is the substance of faith? At the end of Hebrews chapter 10, the author writes there in verse 38, the righteous Will live by faith. The King James says, The just shall live by faith. Same thing, different words. This is foundational teaching in Scripture, and that's not the only place that we, that we read it. In fact, that statement is actually taken out of Habakkuk, Old Testament, interestingly enough, in chapter 2, verse 4. But this is it's then repeated in the New Testament by a number of other writers because it is so very, very foundational. When we talk about salvation, when we talk about the gospel, we always talk about about faith and that raises that question, what is faith? What is the essence of faith? How are we to understand faith? And that's why we want to look at this chapter. Now this chapter has been called the Hall of Fame. It's been called the Heroes of the Faith. It's been called the Honor Roll of Old Testament Saints. It's been called the Westminster Abbey of Scripture. And of course, it's been called the faith chapter. What this chapter presents to us is the power and excellency of faith. And we want to work through this chapter um, over the next couple of months here. And I think that needs some clarification in the Christian culture climate that we live in today. Because there, there is a faith movement within the larger framework of evangelical Christianity, which goes a little bit to the extreme, they talk about the power of faith as if it's our, our power, uh, something that we can use on our personal power that we possess to create our own future, to, to create our own reality, to basically define and manufacture our own future. Whatever we want, we will exercise our faith. It's commonly known as the name it and claim it or the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. And in a nutshell, the prosperity gospel said God wants everybody, his people, to be healthy, wealthy, and happy all the time. And if you're not, it leads us to believing that there's something wrong with my faith, something wrong with my relationship with Christ. When they talk about the power of faith, uh, it's often, it often means that, that we can use our faith as a power to write our own future, that we can change our, our situation. We can literally believe things into being. We have the power to to change how people treat us. We have the power that can change our economic uh, situation. If we're in poverty, we can become rich. Uh, If we're we're being a failure, we can become successful. If we're nobody, we can become somebody, And, and, and on it goes. But really, nothing could be further from the truth in this concept that faith is a power that we possess to change our own life circumstances. You see, faith is a God-given ability to trust the future that God has promised you. Faith is a God-given ability to trust the future that God has promised you. That's a huge difference there. True faith produces in us a confident trust in the future that God has promised. And that future is laid out in Scripture. We're talking about trusting in what God said kind of goes back to that Tony Evans statement act as if God is telling the truth it's not trusting that we can create something from our own desires that we don't see think about the great men of faith that Hebrews writes about from the human perspective if they had an option they might have written their story very differently Because all their stories are filled with difficulties and hardships and distress. Certainly Abraham's was. Moses' was. We can start where the chapter uh, in Hebrews starts with the first one. By faith, Abel. Think of Abel. You wouldn't say that if, if Abel had a choice to write his future, he would have written that he would have been murdered by his brother. wouldn't have been his first choice. No, these people, who, uh, these people died, these people struggled, these the people whose lives were marked with horrendous suffering. So from the human perspective, if they somehow had the power to write their own future, they may have written it very differently than the way God had written it. But the kind of faith that we're talking about, the faith that God gives a believer, is a faith to trust the future that God has written. Because inherent in what God has written for us is his promise of ultimate blessing and eternal joy. The readers of this book of Hebrews needed to understand about this faith, this kind of faith. The majority of those who who would read this epistle as as it was first written were Hebrew believers. uh, It was written to a community of Jews who had come to faith in Christ. They had a basic understanding of faith and really for the first time in their life they, they were understanding the gospel and salvation. They'd come to understand that there's a relationship with God, uh, and it's not dependent on works, because that's what they had been taught, but it's dependent on faith, this new concept for them. And so this new concept needs to be reinforced and so the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews writes, and that's part and parcel of why the 11th chapter is there in, in the book of Hebrews, so they don't go back to their old ways of working to keep salvation, but rather that they would hang on to a life of faith by looking at the models for their examples of all these people in the past who lived by faith and received their eternal rewards. They, they, they esteem these Old Testament people. But it's more than just a chapter designed to encourage believers to continue to walk in, in faith. If you were to study the first ten chapters of Hebrews, and we're not going to do that this morning, but you'd find that the writer had one main point through those ten chapters, and that was that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. That Christ is superior to everything else. Jesus and his sacrifice is superior to the sacrifices of the animals of the, of the old system. He is a better sacrifice. He, he, he made a better offering. Jesus is better than the angels, the, the chapters uh, uh, have in it. He is greater than the prophets, greater than Moses, greater than Aaron, greater than Joshua. He is greater than the priests of all, all, all the other priests. The message of the first 10 chapters is put your faith in Jesus Christ because he is in every sense superior. But at different points through the opening 10 chapters, you would find that there are some warnings sprinkled throughout. And these were given to non-Christian Jews who were probably attending the fellowship at the time, but they're kind of sitting on the fringe, still trying to figure out what this whole movement is about. They seem to be intellectually convinced of the gospel. Their understanding of truth of the gospel is in their minds. And they understand the power and proof of that truth by the miracles and signs and wonders that they know Jesus did. So that's making sense to them. So we could say here that the the writer of Hebrews um, was trying to intellectually convince them. They uh, they had not yet come to the point of believing in their hearts. It It was still stuck up in their heads. In chapter 10, the writer warns them not to go on sinning willfully after you have the knowledge of truth. Or they'll bring upon themselves a far more severe judgment. They need to go beyond tasting that we talked about a couple weeks ago to eating and ingesting as we, as we uh, spoke about what Christ did for us. And this was a big change for them because up until the time of Jesus all they knew was salvation by works. They tried to earn salvation. But that's not actually what was taught in the Old Testament. But that's what they had made it into. The system had forgotten that salvation was by grace, always has been. You know, there's a common thing that churches today say, you know, the Old Testament is all about law, the New Testament, it's all about grace. Not so. There was grace all the way through the Old Testament as well. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as Righteousness. It became necessary then to teach these people, this this group of new believers, the reality of salvation by faith. But in order for the old-time Jews to really understand this new concept for them of salvation by faith through Christ, they kind of had to be deprogrammed and renewed in their mind. So the writer of Hebrews goes back to what they know, the Old Testament, to show them that this Salvation by faith is not for those only for those who came after Jesus. But he gives them example after example after example of great men and women before Jesus who were saved by faith through grace. That's why he writes in chapter 10 verse 38 that the just shall live by faith. That's his starting point which is a direct quote quote from Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith, Old Testament truth. So he takes them back and gives them a list then of Old Testament saints whose lives were marked by faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah, Abraham, Isaac. By faith, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Barak, Samson, Gideon, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the other prophets, who by faith did all these amazing things. Verse 39 sums it up in Hebrews 10. These were all uh, commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that Only together with us would they be made perfect. Did you catch that? None of them received what was promised. But they trusted that it would come as it had been promised. That's where faith came in. That's exactly what we said in the definition of faith that we want to work with. Faith is confident trust in the future God has promised It's the power of God given to us to trust in the promises God has made in the Scriptures. So let's take a look at the first three verses of Hebrews. Long introduction, but that's okay. This morning, uh, we're doing this as it describes faith. Now, first of all, we see the nature of faith. The nature of faith the writer's not really giving a formal definition of faith, but more of a description of faith, kind of a basic elements or features that describe faith. He starts in verse 1 and says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? Ever thought about that? What in the world does that mean? The first thing that we learn about faith is that it is trusting in what isn't visible. It's trusting in what hasn't been received and what hasn't been yet experienced. It's interesting to note that the word faith here is a noun. It is not a verb. It is a noun. It's a Greek word pistis. It means faith, assurance, belief. We're not talking about an act of faith. We're not talking about the reality uh, excuse me, we're talking about the reality of a settled faith that comes from God. the reality of a settled faith that comes from God. When God gives this faith, it's the assurance of things hoped for. That's what it means to live by faith. It doesn't mean that we see something we want and bring it into existence, just because we want it. It means that we put our confidence in something that we're looking forward to. Convictions of things not seen. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Substance. It's a word of substance, right? It's a Greek word, hypostasis. A thing put under, substructure, foundation. That gives it reality. Faith is a substantial confidence in the reality of something not realized. Faith gives present substance to something that is in the future. And as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that all of these saints, all of these men and women of the Old Testament had nothing but the promises of God to rest on. Nothing but the promises of God to hope for, to look forward to. They had no visible evidence that the Messianic promise would come true. No visible evidence that the kingdom promise would come true. Yet the promises were so real, and the revelation of those promises in Scripture so reliable that people built their entire hope, they built their entire life upon them. All the Old Testament promises related to the future. That's what it says at the end of the chapter. None of them received what had promised. It's not because God broke his promises, but because the promises had not yet been fulfilled. What was that promise? Well, ultimately the Messiah, all through the Old Testament. But along with that, eternal life, heaven, everlasting reward, joy, the very presence of God, the very likeness of God. In fact, David says in Psalm 17, verse 15, When I awake, I will be satisfied. Think of that word. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. It doesn't need anything else. I'll be satisfied with seeing your likeness. That's what he was looking forward to. They never saw the ultimate sacrifice. They never knew who the Messiah was going to be. They were people of faith, but their faith was anchored in a reliable revelation from a God who cannot lie. And So their faith gave substance to the f- their future hope. Now, we're on this side of the cross. We know who the Messiah is. And though there are realities that we understand and promises that we have seen that have been accomplished now, there's still the promise of heaven that's out there before us. There's still the promise of the second coming that's out there before us. There's still the promise of eternal life in heaven guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Yet we have basically put our entire eternal destiny on the foundation, in fact, that the Scripture is reliable And that what God has promised, we can trust, right? And what that has done is created substance in the present tense for a future promise. Faith is so strong because it is a gift of God, a gift that allows us to trust Scripture. And in trusting Scripture, we trust the gospel in the Scripture, and therefore, we can trust Christ as our Savior, Scripture is reliable, and we believe it, and we believe it because we have been given the faith to believe it. And as we use that gift of faith, exercising our faith we talk about, the gift of God gets bigger. We talk about growing in our faith as if we are growing the faith. I think it's actually the gift of faith that God is giving that is getting bigger in us. And that's what is growing It has weight now. It has substance. It provides assurance now so that we sing and we pray and we praise and we act and we live and we obey and we minister and and we witness because this hope for reality gives present substance to our life. Living in faith really goes against our old human nature and against the ways of the world. It's like swimming upstream, going against the flow, living in faith uh, of, of God. It's, it's like being in a New York City, in New York City, on a crowded street with everybody uh, rushing in one direction, and we're trying to—can you imagine trying to break through and trying to go in the opposite direction? And folks, the crowds are getting thicker and moving faster in the wrong direction. And I think there are so many people that have grown up in the church that get to the point where it says, ah, you know what? It's just so easy to go with the flow. No more struggles. I don't have to fight. And it would be, except that their destination is a lake of fire. That's the way we used to live, in the lust of the flesh, in the lust of the eyes, a pride of life. That's where the crowds are going. And that's what what they are doing. Why, why, Why do we have this kind of hope that's so strong that it can change the way we live our life? Living our life going against the grain of our own fallen nature because we believe in the truth of God's revelation. And God has given us His Holy Spirit to empower us He's given us that faith. But even beyond that, if we go back to the idea of, of going, against the, the, going against the crowd on, uh, on their mad dash to destruction, Jesus has told us that as we're fighting to get through that crowd and going in the right direction, we're supposed to reach out and we're supposed to grab some of those that are going the other direction try to turn them and heading towards life rather than death. There is power in this faith that God has given us and we are to use it. We are to stand on it and depend upon it. This is what it means to have substance in the present based upon promises for the future. Faith is our anchor. Faith is our rock, our sure foundation. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6 says this, He will be the sure foundation for your times. For your times, not only back there Old Testament time, for your times right now. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. But going a step further, it's not just the assurance or the substance, but it is also a conviction. Faith is also a conviction. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Greek word is elkos. It means a proof. That by which a thing is proved or tested, it means a conviction. It's a substance of, that becomes conviction. And that should define how we live. You see, we can know something to be true, but until it becomes a conviction, we really don't put it into action. And I believe that's where the faith of so many Christians is. It's stuck somewhere between the knowledge and, and the heart, the believing and the conviction. Put yourself in Noah's sandals for for a second. And we're going to be looking at Noah as we move through the chapter. What would make you build a boat in a desert because you're told it's going to rain when it never rained in the history of the world? A conviction, right? It would certainly have to be more than just a kind of a hope because you'd be spending 120 years building that boat Can you imagine building a boat like Noah did for 120 years in the desert and dealing with all the mockery of his neighbors year after year after year? We can hardly handle two or three days of mockery from our neighbors or our co-workers. It's hard. But what put his faith into action? There was such substance to what he had been told. He was so confident in the revelation that God gave to him that it became a conviction upon which he could literally live his life, upon which he spent 120 years building that boat. When we were in India, we had some new missionaries that were going to come out and and join our team. And when I found out who they were, nothing about them, I, I I, I I wrote a letter to each one of them individually asking them if they were absolutely sure that God had called them to India. They needed to have that conviction to go by faith. If they didn't, life in India can get so difficult that there are times when you sit back and say, I don't know if I really heard God correctly. You know, Maybe I just imagined that. I, I'm out of here. At times, the substance of our faith and our conviction in God's direction is the only solid thing that we can stand on. You may say, well, Pastor, we, you know, we kind of live by faith all the time, right? We, we go to doctors and we trust them and our trust, we faith, have faith in them. Our medicines, we trust the signs on the road, we trust our GPS uh, when, when we're going down the road. That's true, but that's faith in things seen. Is it not? We have evidence. We have past history. All all this has already been proven to be trustworthy most of the time. But when we're talking about eternity, we're talking about the unseen. When we talk about the future and heaven and all that there is and the promises of God, we're talking about something that no one has yet experienced. This is a supernatural gift. This is a different kind of faith altogether. And this is the way that we live. We live on the promises given to us in Scripture because we believe the Scripture is reliable. And we believe it is reliable because the evidence tells us it's reliable and because the Spirit of God has planted in us that faith to believe in its trustworthiness. So That's kind of the nature of faith. But there's also the testimony of faith. Verse 2, and this is where the writer kind of introduces us to what he's going to be doing in the chapter. He says, this is what the ancients were commended for. The ancients, of course, being the Old Testament saints uh, that they, they revered and that we have in our Old Testament writings. The writer of Hebrews is trying to help the Jews who were struggling with the concept of salvation by faith rather than salvation by works. And he's doing it, By pointing to the fact that this is, in reality, how the saints of old gained approval by God and were commended for it. All of these Old Testament characters, men and women, that he is going to mention, were all commended because of their faith, not because of their works, not because of all the cool things that they did. It was because of their faith. So this is not a new concept. This is not something brand new that we find in the New Testament. The great heroes of faith, the saints of old, live by faith. Abel believed God regarding sacrifice. We're going to look at that next Sunday. He acted on that faith that what God said was true and what God expected was the path of blessing. That's what he was acting upon. He did what God told him because God told him that this is what to do and I'll bless you. And because he did, he was received and he was approved by God. His action came from his faith. Sounds like a New Testament concept, doesn't it? His action came from faith. Abel's faith was accompanied by action. He was commended for it. In James chapter 2, verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. Enoch believed God so much so that that he didn't die. God was so pleased with him that one day he took a walk and walked right into the presence of God and just kind of skipped the whole dying thing. Noah believed God, and because of it, God granted him righteousness and spared him and his family. The record of the Old Testament stands as a testimony to their faith. Faith. They trusted in what they couldn't see. They lived their lives based on promises that God made to them. And God commended them for it, and they have been honored as heroes of the faith. What evidence do we have now? What past Old Testament stuff? Well, let me give you one. Remember the Apostle Stephen. Stephen, who was stoned to death because of his preaching uh, with uh, Saul standing right there watching and approving what was taking place to Stephen, do you know what led to his stoning? God knew what was about to happen to Stephen, and he gave him a glimpse of heaven. And Luke writes, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This happened before they started stoning him. He saw this vision as he was preaching. But because he saw that, he makes this statement while he was preaching, and this is why they stoned him. Look, he said to everybody, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I'm so glad he saw that. And I'm so glad, actually, that he spoke those words in his sermon and and that the Holy Spirit uh, 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 had Luke write that experience, write those words out for us. Because, folks, that's eyewitness evidence of who is standing and waiting for us when it's our time to enter into heaven. So we have the nature of faith, confident trust in the future promises by God in Scripture. And we, we have the testimony of faith, testimony of Old Testament saints, we have testimony of New Testament. And then there's finally an illustration of faith. The first one that he actually gives before he starts his list of Old Testament, of the Old Testament saints, verse three. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This is an amazing illustration of faith. And we're going to spend more time on this in the fall. But for right now, we need to understand that the point being made here is something critical to us. We live in faith that looks forward to what God has promised, right? That's what we've been talking about here. But this illustration takes us back and gives us a foundation for faith to look forward. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared, the worlds were made, the worlds were created by the word of God, Jesus Christ himself, according to John 1, verse 3, so that what is seen was not made out of things which were visible. That looks back to the creation in Genesis 1. Creation is things seen in the universe, made out of things unseen, things that were not yet. That's creation. And out of the invisible came the visible. Out of nothing came everything. and We need to understand that by faith. We need to understand it by faith because we weren't there. People say, well, oh, you know, I, I, I don't believe in the creation account in Genesis 1, but, but I can believe everything else. No, you really can't. Because the teaching of God's creation is throughout Scripture. We mentioned John chapter 1. It's here in Hebrews. It's in Colossians and many other places as well. If you don't believe creation, you can't put full confidence in God and His Word. We'd have to come to the conclusion that God lied. That's untenable. In Genesis 1, God spoke everything into existence, let there be light. And there was light. Jesus himself did the creating. John 1, 3, through him all things were made. Without him, without Jesus Christ, nothing was made that has been made. So we have an opportunity to place our faith in something in the past as a foundation to place our our faith in something in the future. And if we don't have that foundation in the past, how can we have that foundation for the future? fact that we can look back and see that God described His creation, told us how He made it, and has left His imprint on it. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 1, verse 20, where he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality, qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, even His divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So the fact that God has left his, his, his imprint on creation and that we are now living in that creation gives us the opportunity to have a foundation for believing in the future. You know what's so cool about this illustration? It's that we can trust that the same God who spoke this creation into existence by his word has said that he has also spoken another world into existence, which awaits for us, and that we will one day experience that world, the new heavens and the new earth. Remember in John 14, I am going to prepare what? Prepare you a place. I'm in the process of creating again. Folks, we all live by faith, which is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence the conviction of things not seen. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. Has that faith for you become a conviction in your life every day? There's an old song we used to sing. First line of which is, let me see this world, dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes. Do we look at everything in the world through the prism of Scripture? Do we look at everything through God's eyes? Earlier we sang the song, It Is Well, as a new song to us this morning. And the bridge in that song says, so let go my soul. And trust in him. Have we let go? Are we trusting in him? The waves and wind still know his name. <laughs> He's still in control. He's still in control. Therefore, it is well. It's well with my soul. Come back to that first question. Is it well with your soul? Has a substance of faith Become a conviction for you to live by. Father, this morning, thank you for your gift of faith. Thank you for the Old Testament examples. Thank you for the New Testament examples. Thank you for the examples that we, no doubt, can, can exp- come up with ourselves from things that we have experienced in our own lifetime. There's so much that you have promised, and we need to live. Trusting all of your promises, trusting your word, trusting your blessings. If if we are walking rightly with you, and Father, where that breaks down is when when there's sin in our hearts, sin in our lives that we have not taken care of yet. I pray that your Holy Spirit every day would would uh, prick our consciences, prick our hearts to areas that may not be pleasing to you, and that we would keep short accounts. And that we come to you and confess those sins and ask for that purification which you have promised that you give freely to us. And then step out and living by your word. Father, do a new work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.